really scared. When you've got fear and panic is on the edge of your mind. We were discussing this past week with some of my children about stress and anxiety and what to do. I started thinking through the tactics I use when I'm really afraid. And later on, I was thinking about one of them where I was involved in an obstacle course at uh, Fort McCall, uh, Special Forces obstacle course there, and just doing some uh, height uh, obstacles. And I'm not really fond of heights. And I was thinking, you know, my tactic then was to not think about the heights and just think about the next thing and, and try to focus my mind. And that works to some degree, but there are some things that do not allow you to push off to the corner of your mind. They're still there and they loom large. What do you do when you can't focus because the fear is so great? You, you can't put it outside of your mind. I was thinking back when I was uh, in elementary school in fifth grade, and one of the times I really got scared, and I've shared some of the story with you guys, and, and the fact of the matter is, is I, I had a, 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 there was a girl that she and I were going together in fifth grade, which meant nothing, <laughs> nothing, uh, absolutely, but it did mean something when we were no longer going together, uh, because that incurred her wrath, uh, which was kind of interesting, because going together really didn't mean anything, but not going together, wow, um, and so she championed all of the fifth grade class in the whole school not to like me, uh, which is a problem when you're in fifth grade, and then managed to have her connections to reach out to the seventh grade, which is a totally different school, but a seventh grader was going to get on the school bus and beat me up. I'd seen it happen before with a friend of mine. I knew it could happen because, you know, our bus driver just a bus driver. Some of you know what that's like. And I, and I, I get to the point where I was no longer uh, able to hide that at home. Because you, know, you don't want to bring that up, you know. You don't want to tell your parents that all of fifth grade doesn't like you. Um, and so dad found out about it. And so his, his tactic was to, to get the boxing gloves out. And I'm going to teach you how to fight. I think he kind of gave up on that um, and thought, well, this isn't going to work. Um, it didn't inspire confidence in me. The fear was still very much there. In fact, it made it worse. Uh, and, and I remember as we were going on the school bus and we're getting close to the, to the, the bus stop. And I looked back behind me and I saw my dad driving the vehicle following the bus. I didn't tell anybody on the bus that was my dad. <laughs> but I knew that was my dad. And it's amazing how the fears just kind of went away. At that moment in time, fear wasn't solved by tactics. That fear wasn't solved by diversion and focus and just pretending it wasn't there. The only way that fear was to be cast aside was that there was a greater presence in my life that was greater than the seventh grader. That was my dad. I want to present to you that as believers, we follow that same mode, that same strategy. And we're going to see this given to us in Acts chapter 4 as demonstrated by the early church. So if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 4, we'll look at verse 23. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. To catch you up, 
This is the new church. This is the church with the Spirit of God now residing among them. It's just a revolutionary thing. Miracles have happened. The very first miracle. Uh, we've already seen several thousands, 3,000 come to be a part of the church at, at Pentecost. And now this miracle happens with Peter and John, a lame man who's been lame from birth. He's in his 40s. Now can walk. Everybody can see it. They can't deny it. And now another 5,000 has come to the faith, but also has incurred the wrath of religious leaders who don't like this at all. And so they bring him in, Peter and John, and they threaten him, question him, and basically tell him, tell both of them, if you do this again, much worse is going to happen to you. You've been in prison now. You just wait. You keep this up. You keep it private. You don't, we don't mind you believing this. You keep it private. Just don't talk about it. Don't put it out in public sphere. Don't let it be a part of your life. Keep quiet. And so what do you do when what is the very fundamental part of your life uh, is threatened? Uh, there's reason for fear here. And so let's see the reaction of Peter and John and, in fact, the, the whole church at this point. And so in honor of this being God's word, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this. Acts 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of the father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had destined, predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things they belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money. That, you know, Jesus is crying his eyes out and, and sweating out blood and prayer. And Peter and John and James are falling asleep in the prayer meeting. How many of you can relate to that? All right. Yeah, I know. I know. All right. So I can identify with that. And so it's just amazing when we think about this, that in just in a period of two to three months, these guys who are falling asleep, and the prayer of Jesus are now doing what we just read. Do you understand? You're like them. And they're like us. The difference is what they witness. And the good news about this is that these are things that we can witness also. 
There is a courageous spirit that God can put into our hearts. And so the question I want to ask is, what do these guys do in response to a threat with the hope of saying, can we do the same thing? So with that thought in mind, go to verse 24 and you see the very first thing. When they heard it, they lifted their voices to God. What do you do? They prayed. They prayed. You understand that the source of courage is not whether you can focus your mind on the next thing and try to distract away from the fear. It's not positive thinking. It is to understand that there is a presence of God that is greater than what you deal with. You see, the real answer is found in verse 31. What happens in verse 31? The place where they gathered together was shaken. They were shaken. And as a result, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, what happened when the the building was shaken is they experienced the presence of God. It's interesting. When you see God's presence in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when what's called a theophany, all right, that's your big scrabble word for the day. uh, Theophany is a a way of God revealing his presence in a very unique way, okay? Uh, So that happens in several different times in the Old and New Testament. Uh, Interesting what happens Uh, In Exodus 19, when God comes down into Mount Sinai and the law is given, there is a theophany. There's a a revelation of God's presence and the earth shakes. All right, remember there's fire on the mountain and the earth shakes to the point that everyone is afraid. Okay, when Jesus uh, was crucified, what happened? The earth shook. When he was resurrected, Matthew records that the earth shook. Shook. We see this in, in time and time again in the Old Testament. When God makes his presence known, there is a shaking of the foundations around. And that's what these guys in, in experience. The presence of God. All right. God is here. We know that. The Bible says that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. So there's nowhere you can go that God's not there. Uh, God is spirit. All right. So in, in some ways we can go to a majestic false scene and see God's handiwork and think, oh, I am experiencing the Lord because I see his handiwork. And that is true. But there is something unique about the Christian faith that's not true just about Eastern religion. OK, because all that is true about Eastern religion as well. But the Christian faith teaches that God is also a person, not just a spirit. And there is unique ways that God can make his presence known to believers. And that's what happens here. When the earth shakes and the walls shake, it is a way for them to understand that everything that people think is stable is unstable in the light of God. Have you ever seen, we had an earthquake here not too long ago. Well, I'd say a few years, actually a few years ago. You know how it is as you get older. Uh, not too long ago, it was actually 15 years ago. Uh, it was a few years ago when we actually could felt this. And it was, a, it was an amazing thing uh, to, to know these buildings were just like, is the ground shaking? I mean, the most stable thing that we know, the ground itself and the presence of God shakes and quavers because there's something more stable than the earth you stand on. It is the presence of God. And they have a vision of this, an ex- a presence of God in their life that is utterly unique, unique, and it is the heart of why they do what they do. So what do they do for this God's presence to be there? First, they pray. As we talked about seeking God's face, I was convicted about that as, as Brother Jerry White was talking about that on a Wednesday night. God says, seek your face. You can't seek God's face if you're not praying. If you're not praying, you're not seeking God's face. And the problem that we often have is that we try to uh, 
discipline ourselves into prayer. And prayer does require discipline. But that's not how it starts. Prayer starts out of a very acute sense of helplessness. And you need God. There are certain things we don't have to discipline ourselves in. We don't really have to discipline ourselves in drinking water. We don't have to discipline ourselves much in eating. Somewhere along the way, your body's going to say, you know what? You got to drink something. You got to eat something. You don't really have to discipline yourself in breathing, do you? you know, there's no accountability groups and, hey, make sure I'm breathing, all right? That, that, that doesn't happen. There is a desperate need that happens. Prayer is of that same order. And so when there is a, a prayerlessness in your life that reveals a, a, a lack of walking in the Spirit of God, reveals an a independent spirit and no dependence on God. Do you get that? So if you're struggling with this and saying, you know, God, I, I realize I really need to pray more. What it really comes down to is, God, I really need to know how much I'm aware of you and need you in my life. So don't be surprised when God takes you down in some circumstance where you realize, I can't fix this. That is an answer to prayer in itself. Because God is taking you to a point where he, you realize you need Him. You need to pray. You can't fix internal problems with some external strategy. And this is an internal problem. So when you wake up, you got to wake up with the sense of, God, I need you in my life. I need you at work. Yeah, I need your help in my life. I need your strength in my day. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance in my life. And so perhaps maybe that's the first thing we need to pray for at this point is to say, God, help me understand how much I need you. Put a, a, a very felt need in my life for that. So it's not just by doing better. But to go back to the gospel and realize how desperate you are for the Spirit's power in your life. Now, the second thing we learn, what they do. First, they prayed. And you're gonna, not going to get God's presence apart from prayer. But they prayed together. They prayed together. You notice what it says. They lifted their voices together to God. There is a real meaning and the spirit of god working through the church now what are some titles for the church according to scripture there's some out here got the flock got the family but the church is also what the body body of what the body of christ the bride we are the body of christ and if we want to christ to speak into our life. But yet we don't want to tell the body about what we need Christ to speak in our life. Does anyone understand or see the gap there? I want to talk to Christ, but I don't want to talk to Christ's body. We live in a very independent age in America. We want to be self-made. It's like, okay, I'll let God help me. But God says, well, if you want me to help, I'm going to work through my body. I have given the Spirit of God to that group of people who have said they don't belong to themselves, they belong to me, 
And they're for my purposes. And so I have gifted them uniquely to build up the body of Christ. So that means if I've got some issues in my life, I need the body to use their gifts, their abilities, their prayers to minister into me to help me build up into more of who Christ wants me to be. So what do you do when you go through things that causes fear in your life? Peter and John go back to the church and they're praying together about this opposition in your life. Satan will come in and will will rise up pride in your life to isolate you. As long as you're isolated, you have cut yourself off effectively from the Spirit of God working through the body. There must be a willingness to share with God's people. All right? So prayers together. Now, we keep on reading. They pray together to a sovereign God. And notice what their prayer is. And said, sovereign Lord. Sovereign means that God is in control of everything. There is not anything out there that is happening that has escaped his grasp, his power, his influence. So they are saying, as they pray together, you are the sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. If you go down to verse 28, as they're referring to Herod and Pontius Pilate, who were the the rulers of their region, their area over uh, through Rome. And then they say in verse 28, these two guys, Herod, Pontius Pilate, you remember the other ones who killed or had Jesus uh, executed? They said, these guys are doing whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. When opposition comes in your life, and you've got good reason to fear, Understand and remember, there is a sovereign God who is over that obstacle, that is over that fear-inducing issue or person in your life. He is in control. And perhaps, maybe what we need to think about is that God is allowing this happen according to His plan. I don't know exactly why God allowed this girl to manipulate a 7th grader to want to beat me up on the bus. But I do know some of the results. It taught me to trust my dad, which in turn taught me to trust my God, which in turn helps me to teach you to do the same. I don't know about all the reasons why, but I do know that God allowed these moments to happen. And sometimes we have a tendency as in America, as believers in America who believe that the Jesus is, is God and the Bible is the word of God. Sometimes we, we wring our hands over the times and political climates and the powers to be that are going on in America. And our tendency is what's going to happen to us? And we fear for the lives of our children and our grandchildren and what has to happen in them. And I remember our granddad saying the same things in my life. I'm fear for you and what you'll have to go through. Understand that whatever happens, God is still sovereign over this and he's going to use it. He's going to use it for his redemptive plan. So even if nations rise up against Christians all around the world, God is still God. Overall, and he's going to work through it. And this is what they are praying. They're thinking through this. So we know that everything in its own way is under God's control. And God is purposing it to use all things, both good and bad, for the progress of his plan. So even though the feelings may overwhelm us, we're going to trust that God is working in it. Can you do that? We can 
This is Peter and John talking. The guys that sleep through the prayers of Jesus. And they do it. We can do it too. Now, something else we need to learn here. They pray together to a sovereign God as revealed in Scripture. What, what, where are these things coming from that they're praying? Well, verse 25. They're talking about the God who created heavens and earth and sea and everything in them. How do they know that? Well, they know that because of something they read. And they speak to that more in verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Now, they're about to quote Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Now, most of us know that David was the one who wrote that. But who do they say wrote it? What does it say? Verse 25. David wrote it, but no. Someone was working through David. The Holy Spirit wrote this. They believed that the Bible was written by God. And as such, they were prepared. They were ready. They had verses memorized. You've got to understand, Scripture was not nearly as handy as it is with you today. I mean, the last seven years, it's amazing how you can carry things on your phone and soon to be on your watch, um, have it on your glasses. You could literally have the Word of God on your glasses with the Google Glass. It's amazing the, the access they, we have today. But that, back then, they had scrolls, you know? Those were not easy to carry around. No one, no one had those in their little pockets, all right? Uh, and so... Uh, you would get together for gathers and read this. And so you would memorize the Word of God so that it would be with you in your mind as you dealt with this. And so just notice how they use Scripture here. They said they're quoting Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, and say, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. This is a uh, quoting verbatim from the Greek translation of their Hebrew, Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Uh, but what happens in verse 27 is they said, this is what the Word of God says. Now they're looking at their life around them and say, you know what? This is how the Word of God fits into our life. Here it talks about the nations, the Gentiles rage against God and His anointed. Well, look, isn't that what Herod and Pontius Pilate did? And they're, they're corresponding what's happening in their life with what the, what the Word of God is saying. Guys, it is so important to have the Bible in your life every day. You will be amazed that as you go through life and you look at your life in light of what the Word of God says, how the Word of God will speak to the events and individuals in your life. Because the Bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword that can discern between the thoughts and questions and tense of your heart. It's got that capability. They believed it. They did it. They prayed it. And God's presence was known. God's presence was known. And so, if you want God's presence in your life, it's going to happen through your intentional reading and absorbing God's Word. There has never been anyone used by God in life that did not have the Word of God deeply in their heart and life. Alright? Know that. Don't think that you're going to be able to work through life apart from God's Word. Now, Interesting, we see this type of prayer a lot in the Old Testament. We see it in Isaiah chapter 37, verse 16 through 20, this prayer of deliverance. Recognition, God, you created everything. Here's the obstacle against me. God, do something. But what happens in the Old Testament? Here's what they pray. God, deliver us. God, save us. God, protect us from this. What do these guys pray in the New Testament? 
Do they pray for deliverance? Do they pray, God, wipe out Herod and Pontius Pilate? They deserve your wrath. They killed Jesus. That's, you know, that's pretty bad. I mean, we may not like our political leaders, but none of them yet has executed Jesus. All right? But here they are, and they're not praying, God, take them out. Don't deliver us. They're praying, God, give us, give us courage. Give us boldness. You see, there's something radically changes between the Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament, God was working through a nation, and so consequently that nation, as it was rich, as it was prosperous, God got the glory. But in the New Testament, he no longer worked through a nation. He worked through a people across all tribes and nations. And instead of calling them to prosperity, as he did in the Old Testament, he calls New Testament believers to suffering and dispersing of their goods to point to the greater kingdom of God to let the watching world that is absorbed by materials and and comfort and safety and health to say we will gladly give our comfort, our health, our safety because there is a kingdom that is greater than this earth. And that is the message of the New Testament today. Which is why you got to be careful with guys that talk about, you know, if you have enough faith and you're going to have enough prosperity. That wasn't the spirit of the New Testament church here. And so, notice verse 27. They pray together to a sovereign God as revealed in Scripture with a great Savior. With a great Savior. You see, that is very foremost in their thoughts and minds. It says, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And then we go on down to verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretched out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. What is high in their thinking is the presence of Jesus in their life. Jesus taught us that for us not to be afraid of men and people, we have to be more afraid of the one who can kill both body and soul. When we are fearful what other people say, the real problem is that we're not afraid enough. We're not afraid enough. We're fearful of the people, but God's presence fails to make an appearance for us to be fearful of. That's what I mean, we're not afraid enough. It's like we, we're scared of the kittens that might scratch our ankles, unaware that there is a roaring God that can devour us all. And it's like, oh, I don't mind being in you know, being in jeopardy with the lion, but that little kitten, have you heard it meow? It's, it's this idea of people will think of me less if I speak up about Jesus Christ, if, if I say that I follow Christ, if, that, if I believe that the Bible is God's word, and they say, girl, really, okay. So, you know, you, you don't eat shellfish, you know, and, and, and then we feel stupid. Because we're, we're thinking uh, everyone else thinks we're stupid. But all the while, we can do that if no one is aware of the fact that God is there and Jesus Christ is real. And he has really resurrected. And Satan likes us to think less of that. And what is needed is for us to embrace more who Jesus is. To be aware of that. 
some of little you know, guys, sometimes if you tell young men that, uh, that they're really about dating girls, that, that lust can be cut off just like that. They really don't believe that. And then you just say, well, just imagine that when you're with that girl, suddenly the father comes in, the military guy comes in, and sits down next to you. It's amazing how that desire just, boom, you know. You see, what we need to be aware of is that there is a God and his son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. He works mighty things. And he is the Lord's anointed. And he is there. And he is here in our life. And there is an acute awareness of this among the disciples. We keep on reading. We'll find out something else. They pray together to a sovereign God as revealed in Scripture with a great Savior and a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. You see this in verse 31. This is actually a result. When they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. There was a sense of, oh my, God is here. He is letting us know the reality of his presence in a whole new way. And they were filled with the Spirit. Now, now, wait a second. Wasn't Acts 2? Didn't they just get filled with the Holy Spirit? I, what's going on here? You see, there is the uh, indwelling of the Spirit of God that happens when we are a believer in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God becomes a part of us, which makes us sons adopted by God. But then there is a feeling, a feeling, which is to say, I am to be dominated by, I am acutely aware of the presence of God, I am fully satisfied with the Spirit of God in my life, I yield to the Spirit of God in my life. That is a multiple experience, a multiple event experience. In fact, it is something that we are to yearn for on a daily basis to say, God, give me a fresh awareness of your presence in my life. And that's part of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, is to be have a fresh awareness of God's presence in our life. Probably part of the problem that we often deal with is that our vision of God has grown stale and old. And he is, appears as some old-timey old man Back in our childhood. And so when that is encountered and confronted with the realities of the pressures around us, no, God doesn't speak with power in our life. There must be a fresh awareness of God's presence in our life. And this is part of what it's meant by the filling. They were filled with the Spirit of God. And so you understand there is an ebb and flow. Just because there's been experience in your life at some point where you know God's presence was there doesn't mean you're set for the rest of your life. There must be a continual going back to God and say, God, I need to hear from you. I need to be aware of you. I need to, I, I need to know. Sometimes I need to know it in my heart. I can know it in my head. But sometimes I've said to God, God, I'm aware of your promises and I believe your promises, but there just needs to be something in my life, God, that just lets me know in my heart you're there. And then I say, God, you know my needs. You know every need I have. And if you don't give it to me, it's because I don't need it and I'll believe you on that. But God, if you know my need, I'm asking for it. And I've been amazed how God has let his presence be known to me in ways that would carry me through whatever it is I'm dealing with. 
Can you pray that? You absolutely can pray that. If you trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you're His son, His daughter in faith. And so that's what they're doing. So people who are aware of the presence of God, who are living in the presence of God, are filled with the Spirit. To be in the presence of God in reality. And then, you you think about this. I remember my dad, you know, sometimes we were always acting up in the back of the car. And there's various stages of how this would go. You know, it might be, hey, y'all, cut it off back there. You know, and then there's the snapping, you know. And then I don't know still really how he does it. Even as a dad, I can't quite figure out how he did it. But there was the, the SWAT, you know, whatever range. But you know when things really got bad? He stopped the car. And he got out of the car. And he got you out of the car. And he looked at you face to face. And it wasn't very pleasant, to be honest with you. But I couldn't see anything else but my dad's face. And it grabbed every attention I had. And he wanted me to feel the force of his person. To fill my view with his face. This is what's going on here. God, I I don't need your snaps. I need my vision to be filled with your presence. With your face. Because right now my vision is, is filled with things that I'm afraid of. Threats of people and all the possible scenarios of what could go wrong in my life. That's filling my mind. God, fill my vision with you. And then they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. With boldness. I um, shared the story. is back in, I think, maybe 98. My dad was... Um, went to India, they were doing a pastor's conference there, and basically they didn't pay off everybody that they should have paid off, and so the Hindu radicals came into this pastor's area where they're all worshiping God, and they were starting to, uh, well, storm the place in essence, and the police, because they weren't paid enough, uh, just kind of watched it happen, which gave them full liberty to do more. And so a number of the Indian pastors were arrested, beaten, uh, Finney Matthews, many of you know Finney Matthews, uh, his mother was arrested, uh, and she was uh, diabetic, so she was in somewhat physical uh, jeopardy there, and my dad and several other pastors were in, in house arrest, uh, or in uh, hotel uh, lockdown, I don't think house arrest is too strong, but they were locked down in the hotel, um, and so th- what really gripped me about the story is at toward the end of the conference when things kind of calmed down and they were let people out of prison. They came back hobbling back to the conference center with, with crutches and casts because they've been broken. And they raise a song up together. God, give us India. And the police are there still. And Hindu, Hindu radicals are still on the edge of the, the crowds. And Finney gets up, and he proclaims boldly God's word. And you're thinking, wow, how does that happen? There was just a sense of God's presence that was there among these Indian pastors that they prayed for, that they were yearning for and longing in their life. But you know, for us, 
You hear a story like that and you're thinking, that's good for them. I will pray for them. God bless the believers in India. But here in America, thank God I live here. Perhaps maybe our steps of bravery may be not as dramatic. But our boldness still needs to come out. Maybe it should look like offering to pray for someone in your workplace, in your school. (laughs) I remember being in school. You tell someone you're going to pray for them? Yeah, you're pretty well regarded as a religious nut from that point on. Well, so what? A few years, they're going to be out of your life anyway. Be bold. Offer to pray for people. Offer to share your story with someone. Say, you know, I want to tell you one of the most important things that happened to me. Share your story of what God is doing in your life. Pray for your people that work in your life. The waiters, the waitresses, the the folks that are in your life and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Create opportunities. For some of us, boldness might be I'm going to talk to my neighbor. (laughs) I'm actually going to engage in a real conversation with my neighbor. And just kind of break the mold habit that you're already in of not talking to them. Perhaps invite a coworker out to lunch with you. Create an opportunity. Get involved in missions, short-term missions around here. For some of you, it, it may be to, to do some of the love out loud work that we'll be doing in our neighborhoods in, in this 2015. Some of you might be to work in the food pantry. Some of you might be just, uh, just you know, I'll do an Operation Christmas Child. Let me be generous in some way, and I won't know how this goes out, but I want to be generous. I want to be bold in my generosity. And you'll see that is a hallmark of God's presence in the church in this last latter part of what we read. Generosity. Some of us think, well, I want to be bold, but you're not generous. They come from the same thing. God's presence in our life. It could be for some of you to go and work in ESL and help recruit people who don't speak English, who do not speak English, and say, hey, I want to help them come to ESL, and there perhaps we can show the love of Christ to them and share the gospel of Jesus with them and, and, and to speak and help out with them. Some, for some of you, it might be to work with children because that scares you to death. All right? There's a boldness here that is measured out. And in the area that we're, we live. In March, Finney Matthews asked me to go to, to Nepal to work with the, with the children and the pastors there. There's all kinds of ways. But I would encourage you that before you go to, you need to talk to your neighbor. Or talk to your family member. And just simply say, I want to be praying for you. And you ask yourself, how on earth do you do that? You pray for God's presence in your life. Perhaps we need to start by praying for boldness right here, right now. Say, God, I want to be more afraid of you than I am of the people around me. Let's pray.